Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Charles Spurgeon is known as one of the greatest preachers of all time, and Jeffrey Chang of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary shared with me about Spurgeon's devotion to the Word of God and his approach to ministry. Material from that conversation is ahead. Then, it's Tez Brooks. He works as a missionary, but in the past he has been involved in law enforcement as an officer and a chaplain. He provides some insight into the pressures that those who serve in that capacity face and how faith in Christ can be such a powerful component of their lives. And on this edition of The Intersection, Janita Pace serves as a Christian counselor and has unique perspective on the power of various names of Jesus a knowledge of which can help bring power, healing, and comfort. You'll be hearing from a recent conversation with her coming up. Finally, from the Ministry of Compass Care based in New York State, James Harden shares his unique frontline observations regarding the pro-life movement, including his response to one of his locations being vandalized. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Charles Spurgeon is a greatly respected pastor, preacher, and theologian who has left an indelible mark on Christianity. His devotion to the Word was unquestioned, but his methodology was unique. Jeffrey Chang, assistant professor of historical theology and the curator of the Spurgeon Library at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, has written a book entitled Spurgeon the Pastor, Recovering a Biblical and Theological Vision for Ministry. From a recent Meeting House conversation, this is Jeffrey Chang. When you read the sermons, you, you read sermons that are, are very theological. Uh, you know, it's striking that one of the first sermons that he preached at the, at the New Park Street Chapel there in London when he arrived uh, was a sermon on the immutability of God. So he's just meditating on that divine attribute that God never changes, right? So, uh, and he goes on to, to move from that to talking about God's unchanging love in the gospel. It's, it's quite striking. So he has like rich theological sermons, uh, and yet he illustrates these sermons with kind of down-to-earth turns of phrases and illustrations. I mean, they're, they're sermons that people can understand. They're not just sort of arid and intellectual, uh, which was typical of the preaching in London in that day. Uh, but most of all, his sermons consistently just pointed people to Christ. Um, you, you, you can hardly get through a sermon without seeing him go from the text to the cross of Christ and calling sinners to repentance and faith. Um, I, I would say those three attributes are, you know, characteristic of, of all his sermons. However, I would also say that, you know, Spurgeon himself would admit that the preaching of the word was only a part of the story. You know, mm. he urged his congregation to pray for their pastor from, from the from very day he accepted the call to be their pastor. He was asking for their prayers. And there at the New Park Street Chapel, later the Metropolitan Tabernacle, there were prayer meetings going on. Throughout the Sunday, throughout Sundays, but then throughout the weeks also, as you know, Spurgeon really saw the prayers of the church as the the engine room of the church, uh, you know, the the place where all the energy and power came, uh, because he knew that he himself had had no sort of secret ability. It, it really was the Holy Spirit who had to be at work if anything supernatural were to happen. So he he desperately relied on mm. his people's prayers. 
Well, we, we've talked just a bit about the content of his sermons, and as you mentioned early on and reinforced, he is someone who believed in the local church. He also believed that outside of the grace and the power of God speaking through mm-hmm. him, his ability to not only preach but also to pastor was certainly limited. So the, the name of the book is Spurgeon the Pastor. So as you began to study the, the pastoral ministry of Spurgeon, I understand that perhaps his approach was not necessarily perhaps the most the most accepted of the day, maybe just a bit on the uh, the different side, but when we talk about the biblical nature of it, it's it's certainly something based on the scriptures. Is that a pretty accurate account? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, what I wanted to bring out was his his, his pastoral ministry. And, um, you know, so often we hear, we read so much of Spurgeon's preaching and his, we know about his sermons, and we, we think of this congregation of 5,000 people, it's easy to get the impression that the Metropolitan Tabernacle was, was mostly just a preaching station, you know, a mm. place that you could go to hear this famous preacher. But that would be wrong. I mean, in fact, uh, the Metropolitan Tabernacle during Spurgeon's day was a, a real living local church. Uh, and what that means is they thought carefully about things like church membership. Uh, you know, who, who are we going to bring into membership? They had a, a rigorous membership process that Spurgeon was a part of. And uh, he once you, would, you joined the church, they would keep track of you. Uh, they would have elders and deacons who would visit you and, and check in to see how you're doing spiritually. You know, even as the membership rose to three, four, five thousand plus, um, they had ways of tracking their members there in the 19th century. Uh, and and they, they practiced things like, like church discipline. You know, if you were living in a way that was inconsistent with your profession of faith, they would put you out of membership, you know, in love and hopes to bringing you back to the faith. Um, so those are the, the kinds of things, you know, pastoral care, membership, discipline, that, that I try to bring out in, in my book, uh, just to highlight the fact, again, that Spurgeon was a pastor. Now, he, more than just being a preacher at a preaching station, no, he sought to shepherd a local congregation. Jeffrey Chang here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website spurgeon.org. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Tez Brooks. He is a missionary who has been involved in law enforcement as an officer and a chaplain. In our recent Meeting House conversation, he shared words of encouragement for first responders related to his book entitled Debriefing, Meditations of Hope for Those Who Protect and Serve. Here now from that conversation is Tez Brooks. I was in law enforcement for a while in uh, Central Florida, and I was also a police chaplain for a while. And uh, with both of those, um, both of those roles, I noticed uh, a common thread is just that, um, you know, first responders, that's a stressful job. And I would listen to their stories and, and pray with them, but the Lord kept um, just revealing to me over and over again with every story I heard, uh, of just everyday things that these guys go through. I just saw God's uh, grace and his presence in each one of these um, events that they were going through. And so I just decided to start writing them uh, and connecting them to scripture to show first responders how how intricately God is involved in their life, especially their everyday job. So what was your approach? You mentioned you serve not only in law enforcement yourself, but you are also a police chaplain. Tell me about your approach that you took to really minister to those who are serving in our communities in that way. 
Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Because uh, if you don't know much about law enforcement or other first responder jobs, uh, it can be hard to approach or get people to even talk to you. So uh, because I had been in law enforcement, I think it was a bit easier for me than, than with that. Uh, a chaplain who might just have been a pastor and decided to have an outreach on the side to, to first responders. I think because I had that law enforcement uh, background, I was kind of one of the brotherhood, you might say. Uh, and so it was easier for me to approach them and for me to really get them. Uh, and a lot of mm. people don't. Uh, they, uh, first responders, um, we have a, an odd sense of humor of how we deal with the trauma that we deal with on a, a regular basis. And I understood that, you know, the jokes they make and uh, I wasn't put off by them. And I think that's what uh, gained their trust. Uh, so when I would do ride alongs with them, one of the first things I'd let them know is like, hey, I used to be in law enforcement. Um, that, because you get into a car with a, a patrol car with some of these guys and they don't know if you're just, you know, a cop wannabe or, somebody who has no clue what it's like to, uh, to be a public servant. And so my approach was a little different than, than most chaplains because I had that experience. Well, let's talk about the structure just a bit because you have it in a pa each story in a package that has, well, the, each of the, the elements in addition to the story. At the end of each chapter, you have these three elements. One is dispatch, the next is investigate, and the third is debrief. And so how do all of those relate to the stories at hand? Yeah. So I kind of wanted that the reader that works in uh, those, um, those jobs to really understand and how this story can relate to them. So when they, after they read the, the, the story, they go to a section that's called dispatch and that's basically I'm dispatching them to read scripture and so I provide a, a scripture passage. And then they go investigate. So they explore action points for what's next, like a takeaway. How can I apply this to my life? And then the debrief part is to just pray and talk to God. You're debriefing to God about uh, your day or what you've went through. And so those are the elements that I have at the end of each, uh, each chapter. I'm a big believer that... Um, if, if for nonfiction books, you really need a takeaway. And if you don't have that, then what do you do when you come to the end of the chapter? You're like, well, that was nice, <laughs> but how, how do I apply this? So that's why I include those in, in each chapter. And generally speaking, from the standpoint of the book as a whole, again, the title, the title of the book is Debriefing, Meditations of Hope for Those Who Protect and Serve. So on a general level, what would you say would be the main takeaway for the book or from the book? You know, I really want readers to see God in their daily life, in their occupation. Um, uh, a lot of them are losing hope, and what they're doing is a special call from God, and he has them there to make a difference. It's no mistake they're in that occupation. Hmm. So if they can understand that God created them for that difficult job to keep others safe and to save lives, then hopefully that encouragement will help them from burning out or quitting like so many are doing these days. Tess Brooks here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to Tez, T-E-Z, Brooks.com. Well, this is The Intersection podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. 
Through the homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can also find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple podcast feed. And you can watch video of Meeting House guests through the Faith Radio YouTube channel. There's a link from the Meeting House homepage. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from The Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Just search for Faith Radio Podcasts when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and other podcast platforms. This is the Intersection Podcast with Janita Pace. She is the licensed professional counselor who founded Three Rivers Counseling located in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. She's also written a book entitled The Healing Names of Jesus, Find Freedom from Depression and Anxiety. Here now from that conversation is Janita Pace. I had 31 names on my mind, and just like God does, as I wrote it, he shuffled things around and showed me new names and new metaphors that I had never seen before. And so um, these names are not, you know, you don't have to be an academic um, scholar to understand these names. He's used so many physical metaphors in our world to describe himself. And so what I did is I took those metaphors and those names and I brought them to life with my hope that as people read it, then when they look around, they will begin to see God in the everyday metaphors that he's created. And those metaphors remind us of things that are so encouraging. So it was really neat to spend a lot of time out in nature, a lot of hiking, a lot of contemplation, and suddenly God came to life for me. And it's beautiful because now when I'm out in nature, when I'm out about my day, I get to see God in new ways that I actually didn't before I wrote this book. Well, one of the names that I understand that you include in the book is that of Redeemer. And you were so graciously a few moments ago sharing about your past. And obviously God has done a work in your life, and now you're helping other people to find freedom. That name Redeemer really speaks powerfully to what Christ has done in our lives, as well as how we should regard our past. So elaborate, if you would, on the significance of that name Redeemer. That name is so beautiful. You know, that name is, um, when you look at the word Redeemer, you see that that has to do with, you know, rescuing a captive, making something right again. And the idea that Jesus is so excited to, and, and the Father and the Spirit with him on this plan, to go into enemy territory to, to you know, get us back, to, to take back a captive that's been taken from a war zone. And I just love that picture of that, just that commitment and that mission. And, the, you know, and what drove that decision was his intense love for us. And so... The picture just that he he would do whatever it takes to get to you. And he's as personal as he is big. And so for every listener to know that he went in after you to save you, um, that you are worth, you know, running through enemy territory to find you and get you back. Um, So I just love that picture. I, I love that commitment of our God. And so many people that are depressed, including myself, 
um, I think we lose sight of the fact that he, he was so determined. We were so worth it in his mind to rescue. You know, when I'm going through dark depression, and I still struggle sometimes, I don't feel that worth. And so going back mm-hmm. to that picture that he would do whatever it would take to get to us, to find us and rescue us is just, oh, it adds so much value to my understanding of who I am. Well, there are a number of other names in this book. You have Dr. Cornerstone, Rock. Share with me, if you would, just very briefly, as I just shared just three out of the 31. Of course, we already talked about Redeemer, <laughs> but the this take one of those three and, and share with us about the significance, if you would. Um, you know, the one that, you know, in those that really cap, you know, every day a different one will capture me and I just love doctor. My husband has a lot of medical issues and so we go to Mayo very often and because he has so many medical issues, the doctors there know us so well. We get in right away. They know us by name. Um, and so how beautiful that because of my son, you know, because of my husband's illness, we have this intimate connection And so God's vision that because we're so sick, and especially with depression, I have to go to my my mental health doctor, Jesus, every day. And what I love is that when you go to the doctor, they don't ask you how, you know, how did you get hurt? And if you say, well, I, I, you know, I did this to myself. I made a mistake. They don't say, well, we're not going to treat you because it's your fault. No, doctors always show up and say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why you're in the state. You know, we're going to help you. And so I love that we can go before Jesus. He's so ready to help us. And the more we struggle, actually, the more intimately we get connected with him. So I'll tell people with depression, you have a unique understanding of God because you come before him every day, and he is so excited to help you. And so kind of taking from, and, you know, taking what it takes to be a good doctor, which is good bedside manners and good listening and good compassion. And and that's the kind of doctor that Jesus is for our spiritual lives. Janita Pace here on The Intersection. You can find her online by going to Three Rivers MN, spell out the word three, threeriversmn.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's James Harden, CEO of Compass Care Pregnancy Services with three locations in New York State, including the Buffalo location, which was attacked, destroyed, but rebuilt and expanding. He shared about that in our conversation on The Meeting House. He also discussed how his organization is empowering pregnancy resource centers to counter the wave of chemical abortions and provided other observations on the pro-life movement. Here now from that conversation is James Harden. The church and the people of God in Buffalo rallied together and rebuilt that facility in 52 days. And we opened on Monday. Wow. We have an absolutely stunning display, humbling display of generosity, of kindness, of fighting spirit. We didn't lose a single, we didn't lose a single nurse. Nobody, nobody, we didn't lose a single patient hour. In fact, the very day that we were firebombed, we had to reroute our patients that we're, we're going to see to our Rochester facility 70 miles away. It was a hardship for them, but we did it. And then the very next day, we were up and running in an alternate location. We had three offers, three offers from the generous people in Buffalo saying, come and serve patients at our facility. We, we were up and running. We didn't miss a single patient hour, a single patient appointment. It was absolutely wonderful. They wanted to shut us down, Jane's Revenge, but we didn't. And not only did we, we do the ribbon-cutting ceremony on Monday – with, uh, with you know, so many wonderful people 
but we actually did a groundbreaking ceremony. We're, we're not just, we didn't just rebuild. We rebuilt, we rebuilt better and we rebuilt, we're rebuilding bigger now because there's an influx of patients coming in from out of state, from these conservative states to get their abortion. Abortion tourism has begun. And uh, so, you know, on, on, Ju- on June 24th, with, with the release of the Dobbs case reversing Roe versus Wade, uh, the abortion industry changed overnight. Thousands of abortion appointments were canceled. And the abortion industry had to pivot to a, a new business model. It would be similar to what would happen if a Ford Motor Company was told by the government, hey, you can't have dealerships in 30 states tomorrow. Well, that would be a catastrophic, catastrophic existential kind of threat to their corporation, right? So they'd have to, they'd have to pivot to a different business model to stay alive. That's exactly what the abortion industry is facing. So they're encouraging women to travel to New York and, and California and Illinois to get their abortions or get these dangerous chemical abortion drugs sent to them in the mail. And so we're expanding. We're, we're, we now have the opportunity with our global telehealth partner, Let's Talk Interactive, to give 650 pregnancy centers the 21st century telehealth tools to be able to reach and serve every woman in America before she travels to get an abortion and before she goes online to get these dangerous chemical abortion drugs sent to her um, in, in the mail. It's absolutely one of the most exciting moment because we, we can now per, basically compete with a billion-dollar abortion complex for the first time since 1973, and that's what they're afraid of, and I think that's what's animating their, their violence. So when you look at the state of the pro-life movement and where we are heading, how would you describe it? Well, the state of the pro-life movement is, is poised to, to basically take back control of women's reproductive health in America and provide true informed consent again and provide true care, true ethical medical care. Um, it's, it's, again, the most exciting moment in the history of the pro-life movement. And we're, we're being attacked. There, there's all-out war has been declared on pro, peaceful pro-life pregnancy centers. Um, but, you know, someone has once said that you're not going to get the flack unless you're flying over the target. Well, that, that's what's exactly what's happening. We have the ability to actually um, see women all across this country. Every woman in America, has, has, we now have the opportunity to reach and serve before she gets an abortion if we take advantage of this moment. The, the abortion industry is pivoting quickly, and I think that the pregnancy centers have an opportunity now um, to get out ahead of that and, and with these 21st century telehealth tools and, and marketing uh, to reach and serve these women. So, um, you know, people, a lot of people thought that abortion was going to be outlawed with the reversal of Roe versus Wade. But as you described earlier in our conversation, Bob, uh, it just moves abortion to and concentrates it into abortion hub states like New York and California, where they're going to be paying women for their travel expenses and for their uh, for their abortion procedures uh, out of taxpayer money. Uh, so, you know, we, we've got an opportunity to expand infrastructure, uh, not only in the abortion hub states to, to serve women when they travel here uh, from conservative states, but we also have an opportunity to deliver the tools, 21st century telehealth tools to pregnancy centers all across the country in conservative states and in the abortion hub states as well uh, to, to reach and serve these women uh, in their moment of crisis. And we're going to shorten that service cycle from, from 24 hours. A woman gets a positive home pregnancy test, 24 hours later typically she, she wants information or she wants a service appointment. We can shorten that cycle from 24 hours down to 24 minutes or 24 seconds. I mean, it's just that powerful, uh, hmm. time, you know, to get to serve to get a nurse to serve her. James Harden here on the intersection. You can find out more through CompassCare.info. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of the Meeting House. You can find out more through MeetingHouseOnline.info or by going to the programming section at FaithRadio.org. 
Through that homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can also link to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple podcast feed. You can also view video of Meeting House guests through the Faith Radio YouTube channel. There is a link from the Meeting House homepage. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.